May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? This Advent season, we've been looking at the gospel according to Matthew, asking how Christians are to live between the Advents. How are we to follow Jesus, filled with the hope of his promised return and with the joy of his incarnation? We've seen that we can believe in his promise to come again, in his promise to judge the living and the dead, and how for that time to be a, a time of joy... We have to repent and submit ourselves to Jesus by faith. We've seen how even the greatest among us can have our doubts, but as we bring those doubts to Jesus, as we ask pursuing questions, he is faithful to reveal himself to us. For all of this to matter, though, for us to be able to actually answer our initial question of how we live between the Advents, we need what Matthew offers us. We need absolute clarity on who Jesus is. Friends, you know that we live in a time that seeks to reject absolute truth and to keep matters of religion as a private and personal thing, with the, the result being that many people create God in their own image, if they think of him at all. We might hear phrases like, I'm spiritual but not religious, or, well, my God works for me, but maybe you have a different path. And those sound nice. They're pleasant phrases that seem to be open-minded, and that's what we say we value these days. They're phrases that tickle our each itching ears as we've surrounded ourselves with teachers that say things that we want to hear. Well, compared to that culture, Matthew's gospel stands in stark contrast. He shows us that, in fact, there is truth, and it's truth worth knowing, it's truth worth pursuing. There is truth that is absolute, and that truth is Jesus Christ. And his goal is to show his audience Jesus, and to present him with absolute clarity. Because the truth of the matter is, if we're wrong on who Jesus is, then nothing else is really going to matter all that. He is the center of all life. He is what we were, who we were created for. He is the purpose of all things. He is the end of all things. Who he is is of the utmost importance. And to see that, we're going to dive into Matthew's presentation of who he is from this reading in chapter 1. We're going to see him present the name of Jesus and how that reveals who he is and and then he's going to tell us about the purpose for which Jesus came. In Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet, Juliet laments the family feud that stands between her and Romeo. And then she famously asks him, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. 
Well, it turns out for Matthew and for the angel of the Lord who appeared to Joseph, there's a lot in a name. Names matter. They have meaning. The angel appeared to this saddened but merciful and faithful man, Joseph. It had appeared that his betrothed had committed adultery and he decided to divorce her quietly. He was an honorable man and didn't want to bring shame upon Mary, even though he believed her to have betrayed him. Quite admirable, really. Yet the Lord, knowing what was really going on, he sends his angel to Joseph to let Joseph in on the truth. Mary has been faithful to both her God and to her betrothed. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and he will have a boy who is to be named, she will have a boy who is to be named Jesus. Matthew then comments in verses 22 and 23 that all of this happened as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He quotes Isaiah writing, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then he adds this crucial clarifying statement. For those of us who may not have yet been in the know, he makes it plain who this boy is. Emmanuel will be his name, which means God with us. God with us. That is the name that Jesus is given. He is God with us. Let's take some time to unpack that name because it seems kind of important when we hear it, right? In the midst of an often hectic season, right, with all the logistics going on, you're trying to figure out who you need to buy presents for and plan all the parties and do all the stuff, we can sometimes forget just who Jesus is and why this season is really about him. Added on to that is that cultural desire to make religions that suit our fancies and worship gods of our creation. And into that, Matthew declares for all to hear that this one whose coming we celebrate this season is none other than God himself. Jesus cannot be Emmanuel unless he is God. It's really that simple. And since he is God, that means he cannot simply be all of those things that so many of us want him to be. He was an example of how to live a good life and be a good person. He was a wonderful teacher who wanted to help people to love one another. He was an advocate for the marginalized. He was a defender of the poor and the downtrodden. He was all of those things, and it's amazing that he was. Those are all true, and we love him for it. But so many of us stop there. We want that to be the entirety of who Jesus is. But the truth is, when we stop there, Jesus actually doesn't matter all that much. He's just another entry in the long list of history's admirable people. He wouldn't be all that different from Joseph. Or anyone else that we think is particularly wise or good. And so from the very beginning of his gospel, Matthew tell us, tells us that we don't get to make Jesus who we want him to be. He's making it clear that you can't really follow him by making him in your own image. 
Because then you're not really following Jesus at all. You're following yourself. Jesus is so many wonderful things, but at the core of it all, Jesus is God. To surrender that is to surrender the gospel. It is to cease being Christian. I cannot be too clear on that. To lose the divinity of Jesus is to cease being a Christian. Jesus is God. It is that simple. And it's not just his name that shows us this. It's also the work of the Spirit. The angel tells Joseph in verse 20 that he who is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean that Joseph and Mary together had a baby and the Holy Spirit blessed the child. No, there's a reason we are told multiple times in this passage that the marriage had not yet been consummated. What we know as the virgin birth, or perhaps more accurately, the virgin conception, is meant to show what his name would then further reveal, that Jesus is God. Matthew is highlighting this constantly so that we won't miss it. It's as we say in the creed each and every week, Jesus is true God from true God, begotten, not created, of one being or substance with the Father. It's who he is. There's no getting around it. We can reject it, but our rejection of the truth does not stop truth from being truth. Jesus is God. And as amazing as that is, as amazing as it is that Jesus is God-made man, his name doesn't stop there. He is God. He is God with us. He is not far off. He has drawn near. Jesus is God who has taken on flesh and walked among us. He is God who sat and ate with his people. He is the one who did welcome the outcast and the sinner, who called men, women, and children to him so that they might know him, they might be blessed by him. These are facts. God has come among us in Jesus Christ. That is what Christmas means. That's what his incarnation tells us. God has come in the flesh to be with his people, to walk among us. So important is this notion of Jesus as being God with us that Matthew highlights this throughout his gospel. Right here at the beginning, but then again in the middle of his gospel. When Jesus tells his disciples, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And if that wasn't enough, what happens at the end of Matthew's gospel? Beginning, middle, and end. What happens at the end? The great commission, right? Go out, preach the gospel, baptizing, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And it ends with an amazing promise. You remember what it is? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Jesus says this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus God the Son has come and he is with his people from start 
through the middle to the very end. There is never a moment when Jesus is not with his people. There's never a moment when God is not ruling over all things. There's never a moment that he's not watching over. And since the coming of Jesus, there is never a moment in which he has not drawn near to us. And by his spirit, for those of us who love him and by his grace have come to faith in him, he remains with us always. He is God with us. Does that bring you any joy? <laughs> any peace? Any comfort? Those aren't just like nice theological truth. That is reality. It is tangible. He's with you. Advent is the season where we talk about hope and joy and love and peace, right? All these wonderful candles we got over here. That's what they all represent, right? The only reason we can speak about those things is because Jesus is God with us. No matter what's happening in your life, that remains true. No matter the circumstances. You could be tossed in prison like John was. You could be stuck in isolation because you got COVID for the 15th time. Even when your blood is boiling because of the latest thing that the government has done or isn't doing. Even when you're frustrated because all the things in your life are happening in ways that you wouldn't want them to. Even when you're frustrated because you look at culture and you have no idea what's going on anymore. Nothing seems the same as it was. What's happening in the world? All of that can be going on. It does not change the truth that Jesus is still God with us. Psalm 139, David wrote this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Friends, even if you are running and hiding from him, it does not change who he is. Even if you question, even if you deny him, that does not change who he is. Even if you'd rather him be something or someone else. Doesn't change who he is. God has come among us. And because he has, we, like David, can say that he will lead us. He will hold us fast to himself. For all the blessings of God are found in Jesus. The joy and the peace and the comfort and all that good that you long for, it is found in Jesus. We can have them. We can have them because he has come among us. He is God with us. And we can have them because he has drawn near to us to accomplish his purpose. This tends to be the part that we set aside during Christmas and Advent. Part of the gospel we don't tend to highlight. That's a, this is an Easter thing, right? You're going to have to take my word because we haven't gotten there yet. See, in Advent, we tend to think about 
baby Jesus, right? Meek and mild, sleeping in the manger with some hay, right? You got the animals over here and they're lowing. I, honestly, I, I'm not really sure what that means, but there they are, lowing away. It's all very sweet and heartwarming, all very hallmark. That's not a bad thing. You should feel good when you think about, I mean, any baby, but baby Jesus in particular. It's okay to have the warm fuzzies thinking about Jesus. But we got to remember that that baby who gives us all the warm fuzzies, he came with a greater purpose. He didn't come just to make you feel good. The angel says to Joseph, She, Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's his purpose, friends. You see, Jesus was always the plan. He was always the plan that the Father had in place. That's what that genealogy at the beginning of Matthew was meant to show us. Jesus has always been plan A. It's what Matthew pointing to that prophecy from Isaiah is meant to teach us, that Jesus has always been the plan. It's always been the plan that he would come at just the right time to deal with the most significant problem that the world faces. It's meant to tell us that Jesus didn't come to be some moral teacher or some nice leader. He didn't come to be a political revolutionary or even a champion for the poor and the outcast. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came as our Savior. That's what his name means. God saves. And that saving work was about dealing with sin. From the very beginning of the gospel, Matthew plainly tells us who Jesus is and the work he has come to do. Jesus came to save us from sin. As one commentator noted, sin is the root of all other calamities. Yes, calamity comes from many sources, accidents, forgetfulness, disease, for example. But the root, the cause of disorder is sin. And the greatest disorder is to be at odds with God. Jesus will save his people from that. Doesn't mean that all that other stuff doesn't matter. But none of that could be properly dealt with without addressing the underlying problem of sin. It would be like focusing on a toothache when somebody finds a tumor. Sin needed to be dealt with. It's the cancer of our souls. And so Jesus, God-made man, came to deal with that. And in Jesus, sin has been dealt with. Even from the beginning of his earthly life, from the beginning of the beginning, the cross was in view. His atoning work is there for us to see. Because he knows what we really need and came to provide it. That's why he had to come as God. Because it would take a perfect life to be a perfect atoning sacrifice and no human being was going to live a perfect life. That's why he had to be born of a woman. To take on flesh because God cannot die and yet to deal with the problem of sin, he had to die. And die he did. From the beginning of Matthew's gospel, 
He wants us to know that Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived. He is God who is with us, who came to save us. Somebody ever ask you who Jesus is? There it is. He is God who is with us, who came to save us. And so where does that leave us? Well, it's why I love that Matthew looks at the birth of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. Kind, merciful, gentle Joseph. He sees what he perceives to be a major problem. And he decides on the best course of action. And from a human perspective, he might be right. It seems like a very reasonable conclusion that he comes to. But from a heavenly perspective, he needs to be corrected. He needs to be let in on what's really going on. And in hearing what's going on, in hearing the good news that it turns out Mary has been faithful. That she has been faithful to her God and to her betrothed. And through her, the Savior is coming. Joseph hears that incredible news, and he responds how every single one of us are called to respond. Rather than digging in his heels and saying, that's crazy, (laughs) that can't possibly be true, I know what's really going on here, I know what happened, rather than hearing that, He hears and receives the news. Each and every one of us, when we hear, we're not to dig in our heels, say that we know the better way, say we know who God really is. We too are to hear the good news that Jesus is God come among us to save us, and we are to submit to him, to follow him by faith. Joseph heard and he turned around on his plan. He didn't send Mary away, but rather he served her. And he served this boy who would be his adopted son. He followed the Lord's command. He named the boy as he was meant to be named. And he served this boy. He served his family. Along with the the details of his lineage, that's really all we know about Joseph. We don't know how old he was, how long he lived. All we know is that he heard and he was faithful. Because that's what matters. Friends, you have heard who Jesus is. You have heard that he is God made man and that he is with you always. You have heard the amazing news that he has dealt with your sin by taking the punishment for you. Will you stick with your own plan? Will you hear that and respond as so many do that, well, I know the right way. Thanks, God, I got it from here. But will you hear again and will you submit to him in faith? Will you serve this one who came for you? He is God and so he is worthy of our love, our loyalty, and our faithfulness. He is with us, and so we can have the comfort and joy and peace that only He can provide. And He is our Savior, so we can have forgiveness and the blessing of life with Him forever. That is what Matthew wants you to know. That is who Jesus is.
in these last days of Advent, hear again of the God who came for you. And as you hear, turn and receive him, the Savior who lived and died for you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.